0: Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the 518th show of ROI. Our noted guest for today's show is Leo Landis, state curator at the State Historical Society of Iowa, who is going to talk to us about Black Iowans, and equality. Joining us for the second segment of the show is our history buffs, Ed Broders and Terry Toppler. To begin with, we'd like to welcome Mr. Landis to the show. Hello, Leo.
1: Hello, John. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming back and joining us again. Our first segment of the show is called Farooq Tanarin, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. So, Leo, can you start us off with some of the basic information on early black history in iowa
1: sure and i think you know a lot of your listeners may know this uh but the the first big uh situation in iowa is in 1839 and i say big situation it's it's you know monumental uh man named ralph montgomery who had been enslaved in missouri comes up to dubuque to and receives permission from his the man who'd enslaved him uh, a man named jordan montgomery to work in the lead mines. And when, and this is 1834, uh, and Ralph isn't making enough money, so some slave catchers work with Jordan Montgomery to try to bring uh, Ralph back to Missouri. Uh, a group of white Iowans stop that from happening. It goes to the Iowa Supreme Court, uh, in the territorial Supreme Court, and our Chief Justice Charles Mason rules in favor of Ralph. So from uh, 1839, you've got uh, a situation where the Iowa Territorial Supreme Court rules because of the Missouri Compromise of 1820 that slavery cannot exist in the Iowa Territory. And Thus, Ralph is a free man, so recognizing black personhood, black equality from our territorial days and yet uh, at the same time or thereabouts, uh, I was only lynching that I know of takes place and it's not hanging a black man it's essentially beating him to death in Dubuque uh, he's uh, being accused of stealing materials, uh, some clothing and when the mob isn't able to find the clothing and Uh, convinced, they're still convinced that he has committed some crime, they beat him so severely that he dies. And so you've got uh, two different cases uh, in territorial period that show, uh, I'd say, our, our states, you know, two perspectives on equality, one where it's recognizing the full equality of, of black Iowans, and then another one where uh, profiling someone and not taking their word and taking justice into their own hands and thus uh, depriving someone, someone of their rights. So, uh, those are two monumental cases, two early cases that uh, go back to the, the founding of our, our what is today our state, but go back to our territorial period.
0: And to point, and, out, I'm sorry, go ahead. point out to our listeners, Iowa doesn't come as state till 1846. So. It,
1: exactly right. So Iowa territory is established, and, and that's one of the great things about the Ralph case, and I'll, I'll draw it. It's usually called the case of Ralph, 1839. We become a territory of our own july 4th so independence day 1838 the case of ralph is ruled by charles mason july 4th 1839 so ralph gets his independence on independence day 1839
0: oh that's definitely the uh, story of ralph montgomery is definitely something the state to take pride in and of course uh, the other story is is like the highs and lows of um our beloved territory um Can you sit there and state to our listeners, of course, you're starting off from the very beginning of um, black history in our territory. Um, When does the state really, because as I said, it's formed in 1846, when does the state start dealing with other issues, dealing with possible minority rights, particularly for black Americans in the 19th century?
1: Sure. Well, you go to our state constitution of 1846, and of course, uh, blacks, again, are being deprived and and women, too, of equality. So uh, the suffrage provision in our first state constitution is uh, voting is for white males, 21 uh, or older. Uh, so and citizens too, got kind of to put that in there so you've got that as a, a situation where again we're, we're not doing really well on acknowledging equality and it's not that we're uh any any worse than any other northern state for, for that matter uh and there is a, a you know a degree of equality you can't have slavery then in iowa uh once we become a state there one of our territorial governors john chambers who was from kentucky actually brings uh enslaved people with him who are his servants and he keeps them uh, as his property when he's in Iowa. So, again, that's territorial. I'm going to jump into mo- some more statehood. But then you have people like Alexander Clark in Muscatine and the small black community that's in Muscatine, even before the Civil War, holding emancipation celebrations beginning in 1856. So, uh, advocating for black equality uh, and as the Constitution's being revised in 1857, an effort to say, hey, we need to change the Constitution at that time. Uh, And it goes to the white male voters in 1857, and it gets crushed. Uh, So the provision in the Constitution of 1857 still is white male voters, uh, 21 citizens. But then with the black service in the Civil War, we have a, a black regiment out of Iowa, uh, 1,000 men serving on behalf of the state approximately uh, during the Civil War beginning in, in 1863. So you've got the what they call themselves the 1st Colored Regiment of Iowa. After their service, then the white men of Iowa agree to change the Constitution in 1868. So uh, we strike the word white, and again, we're not going to talk women's history, but it is March when we're recording this, and so just feel obliged to say, hey, uh, we don't give women the vote until 1920 in Iowa, at least in candidate elections. But there's one other case that I, I want to hit really quick before we uh, maybe move to another topic, and that's 18, well, maybe two quick ones. Alexander Clark, who we referenced Uh, he and his wife send their daughter to the white school in Muscatine because Muscatine had segregated schools in 1867. And so did Des Moines. uh, So did Dubuque. Uh, Wouldn't surprise me if Davenport did. I don't know that one for a fact, but I know uh, at least Des Moines, Keokuk uh, had some segregated schools. Muscatine and Dubuque uh, all had segregated schools. So uh, the Clarks in Muscatine say we want our daughter to go to the public school, and in April of 1868, Justice uh, Cole for the Iowa Supreme Court rules that Iowa can't have schools based on. Uh, Cultural background. In this case, it was African descent. So, that Clark case of 1868, again, hoping a lot of your listeners know, but that's a a big one. And then the last one I wanted to hit quickly is uh, the case of Emma Coger, who is uh, very light skinned but called a black woman. In 1872, she boards a steamboat in Keokuk and is seeking to have dinner in the first class passage. And she's very light skinned and uh, but people, uh, some people know she's black, and so they won't sell her a first-class ticket for dinner, but she gets a gentleman to buy her a ticket and then is seated on the ship in the first-class section. And the captain's wife recognizes that she's a black woman and calls for her to be removed. Uh, they forcibly remove her. Ms. Coger sues and uh, wins that case. So landmark case in Iowa, and actually it does get referenced in Brown v. Versus Board of Education is Kojer versus uh, Northwestern Packet Company. So that 1873 case uh, leads then up to the 1884 civil rights case, but we'll give you a chance to jump in again, John.
0: We have a lot more time to talk about these this very interesting and important subject, so please stay tuned for our next segment of the show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. Times of joy. In moments of grief. Broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the second segment of the show, which is referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Leo Landis, state curator of the State Historical Society of Iowa and we're talking about Black Iowans and equality. Our history buster for today's show are Ed Broders and Terry Toppler. Terry, why don't you start us off?
2: Yeah, Leo, I'd like to know a little bit more about Alexander Clark. You said that uh, he had a significant case in 1868, I believe, uh, wanting to send his daughter to Muscatine, uh, where they had segregated schools. Uh, can you talk about the history of seg- segregation as far as education in the state of Iowa?
1: Even in our earliest education legislation in iowa pre-1860 really black iowans weren't being taxed to help fund the schools because it was believed black children shouldn't be attending school so that's uh, there's a public educational on 1857 that starts to shift that uh where it's like okay we will now tax black iowans generally men. And and Clark was a barber. That was one of the few professions that black men in the North uh, could have some prestige, in addition to being ministers, uh, and earn some wealth. So Clark is a, a black barber in Muscatine had never been enslaved. He was actually uh, always a free man. And so uh, you've got this history in Iowa then of segregated schools and the idea that even, you know, to a degree that black children don't deserve to be educated in our state until that changes uh, with some legislation in the 1850s. And then after the civil war the war to end slavery you know you've got racist southerners who uh, and you've got racist northerners too but just not uh, a place where uh, slavery is legal so that 1867 effort to enroll their daughter uh, actually really only desegregates elementary schools there are two cases in keokuk uh dove Uh, versus the independent school district of Keokuk and Smith versus the independent uh, school district of Keokuk. Keokuk in 1875 was still trying to segregate their high school. and, And up in Dubuque, they were even still trying to segregate uh, their elementary schools in spite of Clark. And so those are the last two towns where I know legal segregation was was taking place. Keokuk in high schools, Iowa Supreme Court changes that in 1875 in those two cases. And when uh, Joseph Howard, who's the uh, light-skinned black man in Dubuque, tells the school board about the Clark case and that he's going to get a lawyer, they decide to end their uh, what they would call their colored school. So uh, you've got this this effort still through the 1870s to, to have segregated schools in Iowa.
0: You mean to say that you could say to someone back in the 19th century, I'm going to get a lawyer? And people change their minds,
1: <laughs> at least in, in, in Iowa. And, and I'm really not making that up. I've read the, read the Dubuque. Uh, one of the Dubuque newspapers has the school board minutes in it. And so the school board essentially is saying, oh, we've been notified by Mr. Howard that he uh, has... Uh, retained the services of a lawyer and so we need to close our our black school
0: i i'm thrilled that it worked but i very much so ed
2: <laughs> well it was only one case john
0: still <laughs>
2: <laughs> what i thought i knew growing up um was that iowa had a um well and i'll, I'll pick on him uh, until terry branstadt was elected governor in the early 80s iowa was known as a progressive state and uh one of the things that i thought i knew as part of that was that much of that progressive initiative came from the courts and very little of it came out of the state house. And from what you've told us so far, that's consistent with what you've said. Uh, can you expand on this?
1: I, I certainly can. And so want to give, you know, uh, Governor Branstad uh, his due too, he, he, you know, appointed our first woman to the Supreme, Iowa Supreme Court. So uh, his his uh, record is 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 worth you know pointing things like that out. But going back to uh, your question, Ed, 1884 Iowa legislature passes a civil rights act, and we're one of the few states in the nation after some of the federal legislation is being overturned. Uh, and on the heels of of Coger says no, we're going to pass a civil rights act. So in 1884, the Iowa Civil Rights Act states that. You can't uh, discriminate against anyone based on race at places. And it's very specific, but it's very uh, broad ranging, too. So it uh, says, you know, that uh, everyone shall have full and equal enjoyment of the accommodations, advantages, facilities and privileges of inns, restaurants, chop houses, eating houses, lunch counters and all other places where refreshments are served, public advances, barber barbershops, bathhouses, houses, theaters, and all other places of amusement. So that 1884 legislation is a big deal, and sometimes, as you noted, gets overlooked. But Iowa is a leader on that from a legislative standpoint. Uh, the problem is, in this case, the courts, it can be up to, I think, a $100 fine in Iowa and maybe 90 days in jail. I think I could be. I know it's a $100 fine, usually and and it it only got prosecuted occasionally and and you know the Tony case in 1945 in Davenport is is one of those uh and again one year listeners probably know but uh it only gets brought up and and in fact shortly thereafter a roller skating rink in lynn County uh says oh we can discriminate because we're not listed and the courts rule saying oh yeah that's very specific legislation so uh It is somewhat constrained. So that 1884 law is a big deal, but the courts don't give it a lot of teeth uh, or enforce it. And uh, wherever there are loopholes, people try to avoid it. And, and, you know, there's still discrimination, as I said, with the Tony case in 1945 and others across the state.
2: So some things haven't changed. No. (laughs) Terry. Uh, Yeah, Leo, can you talk about the Charles Tony case of 1945 for those of us who may not know as much information about it as we should.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot going on then in the state uh, as World War II is going on. And and this is very late in the World War II era. But Charles and Antony of Davenport uh, had gone to a film, uh, then go to uh, the Colonial Fountain uh, ice cream parlor at 12th and Harrison in, in Davenport and... Uh, the clerk there uh, refuses to serve them, and uh, I think her name was—now uh, uh, I'm blanking—Dorothy uh, uh, is her first name. Um, anyway, she she refuses to serve them, and they uh, first are going to be uh, served by the local attorney for the the city uh, or the county and then uh, bring in two Des Moines lawyers. And and the Tonys were active in the NAACP, so the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, and uh, work through the NAACP to look for uh, a black lawyer to help them out. First, looking for a local lawyer, but he's busy. And so they then go to two Des Moines lawyers. a man named James B. Morris, who had served in World War I and got his degree from Howard, but he's also busy. So S. Joe Brown, who's uh, one of the premier black lawyers in Iowa, both of them had been active in the NAACP in Des Moines. And so S. Joe Brown, who was Phi Beta Kappa from University of Iowa, is uh, an undergrad, he is their uh, co-lawyer, and the first case, uh, it, the first trial, it's a hung jury, it's 3-3, three, three, it's and, and one uh, staying, uh, not voting, and then the second time, and, and Brown makes some just exceptional arguments, just saying, you know, here we are in a, a war, and if uh, we are a state where liberties are to be prized, uh, you know, then the Tonys deserve service. And that's the one that goes to a hung jury. The second time it's tried, uh, S. Joe Brown is able to get uh, the the woman who refused to serve them uh, to admit that she doesn't believe in equality on the stand. Dorothy Baxter was her name. Uh, and so uh, Ms. Ms. Baxter admits her own prejudice, and the jury then rules against her uh, in that case later in the year, and uh, the Tonys then, then, then are the, the winners of that case. So, uh, you know, he was a longtime employee for John Deere and, and active in the Catholic Church, he and Ann were, and, and in civil rights work. So a really strong story. And I, I think that's the biggest theme, just to wrap this comment up on, on my part, is that it's the black Iowans advocating for their own equality in these cases, uh, and so important to point that out.
0: All right. So you've pretty much given us instances of de jure segregation. Um, Of course, de facto segregation was out there in countless areas and countless directions. Uh, Have you come across um, cities in the state or regions of the state that were pretty much being discriminatory towards blacks and other minorities, but nothing was written in the book, but it was documented?
1: Uh, it's certainly, and and I don't know Eastern Iowa history c- quite as well, but I, I think well that you know you don't see uh, in the post World War One period, so after 1920, with some of the. Uh, racism that's taking place across the country through the Ku Klux Klan including in Iowa black school teachers getting employment very often so uh, Des Moines doesn't have a black school teacher until 1945 I think uh, Davenport is until 1960. So you've got situations like that. You think of redlining uh, in housing. There were restrictive covenants uh, across the state. I know uh, cases of people like uh, a Des Moines, now Des Moines resident Roger Maxwell, who went on to work for the Iowa Board of Regents. He and his, his wife, Bunny, when they come to Des Moines in 1967, they're only getting shown houses on the east side of Des Moines. There's a handful of neighborhoods uh, in Des Moines. In, in Des Moines, there are two major urban renewal projects. One is for a blighted industrial area, but the other is a blighted black area. So again, it's city action here in Des Moines, or what is called a blighted black area, but it was the area that, blacks had wealth in businesses and in homes and and so a good example of a counter to that is in Fort Madison I think in 1967-68 as Highway 61 is being relocated it's black and Latino Iowans again advocating for their neighborhoods and the DOT ends up changing the planned route so it doesn't disrupt their neighborhoods quite as much.
0: Along that line I had seen a a historian I think it was from uh, Augustana Probably about five or six years ago, said that the de facto segregation factor was with also with real estate agents and bankers, that they would not. They had an unwritten code amongst them that they wouldn't give loans or sell houses to uh, minorities in Davenport unless they were in certain areas, and the state came along in seventy one and kind of gave out a scenario saying, "We know what you guys are doing." You either end it now or the state's going to drop the hammer um and of course that that changed but we do have records here in our city of davenport of uh minorities being forced to live in certain areas in this town uh do you guys have any of that in the uh state annuals up at the um in the state history
1: you know i i don't think anyone's done a really hard look in iowa history on how housing has shifted uh, or access to housing and, and, you know, could even make the argument that there are still neighborhoods in, in our larger towns and cities that uh, uh, blacks might have a hard time uh, finding finding an available home uh, but I think of Roger and Bunny Maxwell, who I referenced. I grew up on, in a western suburb of Des Moines. Uh, when I was a boy, there was one black family in town. Uh, Roger and, and Bunny Maxwell now live and bought a house about uh, two blocks from where, where I grew up. And so uh, at least in, in central Iowa suburbs, and I'm guessing in, in you know Sioux City, Council Bluffs, Dubuque, Uh, Waterloo, larger towns across the state, uh, Davenport, where you saw some of that as you were referencing de facto segregation based on banks and and real estate agents. And I've read on that, but I don't think anybody's done a lot of deep work on that in in Iowa.
2: Okay. Ed? Yeah, so far, um, Leo, everything you've talked about as far as legal cases um, and such has occurred in eastern Iowa. Um, and we've done a show on a show or two on Buxton, so we know about them. Um, but was this, you know, we don't hear anything about these things coming out of western Iowa. Is that just kind of an accident of history and geography, given that most of the black population in the 19th century was south and east of Iowa?
1: Yeah, Sioux City had a, a black population where blacks were advocating for equality, uh, you know, not, not quite as... Big as central to eastern Iowa, but, uh, you know, you think of stories in Iowa history, Oscar Michaud, who becomes the premier uh, black filmmaker, when he registers for the draft in World War One, he's doing that out of Sioux City, and when he lists what his profession is in 1918, it's, it's movie producer. So uh, the black population of uh, western Iowa and, and you know, the Council Bluffs, I don't know quite as well, and, and actually Southwest Iowa had a fairly prominent Black population from the uh, 1870s into the 1920s, and so those communities uh, were celebrating. We should do an Emancipation Day discussion someday. Uh, we because, can. We will. Uh, yeah. <laughs> emancipation Day is a reference. That's something that Alexander Clark and his friends start in eighteen fifty six in Iowa. There were earlier US events, but Clark is celebrating it pre-Civil War, and those Emancipation Day events take place all over the state. So black young black women dressed as uh, the Statue of Liberty riding in parades celebrating black emancipation either in August or September uh, down in Clarinda in Page County. Uh, so some really compelling stories of, of black Iowans, you know, celebrating and honoring freedom in, in, in really rich ways.
0: It is customary that we give our guests the last word on the show. Leo, why do you think knowing about the history of black Iowans uh, is relevant in today's world?
1: It, just as we were saying, you know, a lot of the history that we grew up with didn't get into the rich and wide-ranging stories. And so understanding the history of all Iowans, I think, gives us a better perspective on how our state has lived up to what its ideals are and sometimes not met them. And, and to have the perspective that maybe there are, is more that can be done to make sure our state is equal for all Iowans.
0: When we come back, we'll wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 518th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker, Our program manager is Rick Sweet, and the theme song for our show is titled Kala's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zapdal. My name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our noted guest, Leo Landis, state curator of the State Historical Society of Iowa, who talked to us about Black Iowans and equality. The history buff for today's show were Ed Broders and Terry Toppler. This is ROI, relevant or irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University, Or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.